us. Well, good morning. My name is Jared Perry. I'm the youth pastor here at our Southwood campus. Uh, glad to be with you guys. Thanks. I pay them to be here. It's great. Um, we are going to be continuing in our study of Ephesians and this conversation about what it means to be alive together. I'd love for you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we're so glad you're here. Uh, Ephesians is towards the end of the Bible. Um, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, all that comes before that. If you start getting into Hebrews, Revelation, you've probably gone, you have gone, not probably, you have gone too far. I know that for sure. Um, so Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be. While you're turning, I also want to encourage you, if you have not or were not here last week and have not gotten to go back and listen, please go back and listen to Blake Jennings' sermon last week. He did an amazing job talking about a very difficult topic uh, of what it means to be uh, in a marriage relationship within this conversation. But specifically for this, he frames for us this conversation. Uh, and we'll talk about this a little bit. But in 521, we get this uh, statement, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it really is the umbrella under which all of what Blake said last week and all of what I'm talking about this week falls under. Uh, and so it would really be beneficial for understanding this whole passage if you were to go back and listen to him. And also, we just think he's great. So make that a priority, maybe as you're driving home for Thanksgiving or uh, going to visit family or whatever that might look like. So Ephesians chapter 6, look in verse 1 with me. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that there is no rival to you. There is no equal that even your name is powerful. Father, I pray and ask that this morning, that no matter where we are as a people, no matter where we are individually, that you would speak to us, that you, by the power of your Spirit, would work in our lives to help us to understand this text, but not just understand it just for our own knowledge, but that we would understand it so that we would understand more about who you are and how we are to become more like you. And so I want to ask you to take a second and pray for yourselves. Pray that the Lord, you know what your circumstances are, so pray that the Lord would speak to your heart that you wouldn't be complacent this morning and that the truths of this text would actually change your heart to help you know God more and to become more like Him. Pray that also for those around you. If you know names, use their names. If you don't, that's great, but pray that the Spirit of God would be moving and working in this room for those around us as well, that, that they would be learning more about who God is and, learning more, and becoming more like Him today. 
And then finally, if you'll pray for me, I think there are two really big weighty questions in this passage that we have to deal with and wrestle with um, on top of just trying to explain it. Uh, and I want to be really faithful to those things, uh, and, and I'm just nervous. So if you just pray that I would be clear and the Lord would be speaking through me. Well, Father, we pray these things in hope because we know that you are a good Father. And we ask them in your son's name and by the power of your spirit. Amen. I don't have enough free time to go to the movies anymore. I love going to the movies, but I don't really have a lot of free time. So now I have my version of that, which is watching movie trailers. I don't know if anybody else does this. Just tell me it's okay, all right? Um, This is what I get with a five-year-old and a three-year-old. So during alone time or spare moments when I have that I need sanity, I will sit down and pull up YouTube and go to the movie trailer uh, page that I go to and watch movie trailers. And one of the ones that just came out that I'm so excited about is Incredibles 2, right? Okay, if you didn't know, let me tell you, right, this is the thing you need to walk away with from the sermon. Go watch the Incredibles 2 trailer. I'm kidding, but also go watch it. Um, Incredibles met that sweet spot in my life where I was just old enough to still not feel weird about watching animated movies, but also like cool enough to get maybe some of the bigger pictures of what was going on. And it was just a great movie. It was so much fun. It was a, a, a really great film. So I'm very excited about Incredibles 2, but I was thinking about it as I was thinking about this sermon. Because Incredibles starts with this story of these superheroes, this Mr. Incredible who's got this guy named Buddy, which who just wants to be his buddy. It's appropriate, right? Like he wants to be Mr. Incredible's sidekick. He wants to be just like him. He sees who he is. He's heard about all the things that he does. And so at the beginning of the movie, he comes into this bank robbery that Mr. Incredible is trying to stop. And Buddy comes in and he's got all of his gadgets and stuff. And he's like, Mr. Incredible, I can help you. And what happens? Mr. Incredible tells him to go home. And in that, threatens his entire family. And so this is a lesson on kindness. No, I'm kidding. But this is a moment where we see that this guy's one moment, this one man, and Buddy's interaction with him is going to change the rest of Buddy's life. It's going to change the way that he's going to act. And it's going to direct every other step and every other thing that he does as he tries to get revenge. Now, thankfully, we don't have to be motivated by revenge, but in this passage, we see that we are motivated by something more than just ourselves. We're motivated by something that's more than just us and what we want, because the reality is, I think you're like me, right? If There's something within our human nature that we can be self-motivated up to a point, but we reach that breaking point at times, where things that we know that are good and things that we believe that are good become too much for our spirits, too much for us to overcome. And so as we study this text today, we're going to look at what it means to be alive together by submission at home and at work. But here's the reality. Verse 21 has framed this whole conversation for us. We are called to submit to others at home and others at work out of reverence for Christ. This thing, this call, isn't just Hey, go do this thing. Just go do this good thing. Verse 21 is very explicit. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so we're going to try and get specific within this conversation about the family and parents and kids and what it means in the workplace to submit and and live like Christ in those moments. But as we get specific, I don't want you to miss the big picture that none of this is actually about your work and your effort. It's about responding to who our God is. 
and what he's done. So let's break this section down and look at what it means for submission at home. This is what Paul says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's a very simple statement. Kids, obey your parents in the home, for this is right. Now, when we think kids or we think children, I think about our Grace Kids ministry who are awesome, right? I I don't know if y'all have seen our Grace Kids volunteers and what they do, but they are doing an amazing job. But remember, the book of Ephesians was written as a letter, right? They didn't have it in the Bible originally. They would have gotten it in their church as a letter, and their leadership would have stood up, and they would have read this letter out loud to the community and the kids in there wouldn't have just been kids. They would have been teenagers. They would have been young 20-year-olds. Where Paul is telling them where they can comprehend and they can hear, children, obey your parents. But this thing's right. It's just right. This isn't just for my five-year-old, although I hope he listens to it, right? This is also for For all of us with parents, right, we have a responsibility to obey. Now, we're going to talk about what that means in just a second. But I just want to hit on this piece. And the reality is that that's just right. The Lord has put these people in authority over you. So then Paul will go back and he'll quote from the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, he points out. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And Paul's pointing back to the Old Testament and saying that this is, this is our reality, that we as kids have been called to honor our parents. Even when it seems like they're crazy, even when it seems like they're wrong, we're called to honor them. So I grew up in Houston, and I'm a huge Houston Astros fan. This has been a great, yes, it's been great, okay? Gigam Strohs. It's awesome. When obviously they'd not had a ton of success whenever I was growing up, but they had some guys that I loved to cheer for. Craig Biggio was my favorite player. I played second base. He was the man. I don't care what you say. He's the greatest second baseman ever. He's awesome. Okay. And I don't know why I remember this one game, but the Astros were playing the Pirates and they had gotten this big lead up. They were at Pittsburgh and they, they had gotten this big lead and we were watching the game at home or my, I'll say my mom was watching the game at home and I think I was doing some homework and I came out of my room and I came to sit down and watch the game. And as I sat down, all of a sudden the pirates started coming back. They scored one run and then they scored two runs. And I think it was like eight to three or something like that. Then they got another one. And I'm going to steal a line from Michael Scott. My mom is, she's not superstitious, but she's a little stitious. Okay. So she's, man, just a little bit. And so she looked at me and I was the only thing that had changed. And so of course I was the reason why the Astros were currently not doing well. So she literally said, Jared, get out of the room. I was like, mom, come on, mom. No, get up and get out of the room. And she made me leave. And so I get up and I'm like, come on, this is no way this is real. I want to watch the game. And so I got up and I acted like I was going to my room, but my parents had a TV in their room. And so I snuck in there and I like turned it down as low as I could and turned it on so that she wouldn't be able to hear it while she was in the living room. Y'all, I kid you not, as soon as I turned the TV on, the Pirates hit a grand slam to tie the game. That moment. And my mom knew it was me. She, Jared, was the first thing she yelled. Are you watching this game? <laughs> Are you kidding? How did that happen? The reality is like, that was, that was a crazy moment. But it would have been better for me if I'd have just listened to my mom because then she might would have actually blamed the baseball players 
for playing baseball instead of me for just being a fan, right? Like, it just goes better for you. Even if it's crazy, even if it seems weird, it just is better. It just goes well for you when you obey your parents. That's what you're called to do. Now, Blake talked about this last week. Paul's exhortations here aren't coming outside of the rest of Scripture, right? So this doesn't mean obey your parents if they tell you to break the law. This doesn't mean obey your parents if they tell you to go against what God has said, right? We're not talking about that because while this is inspired text, so is the rest of Scripture. So we have to understand it all together. So, so what are we going to say here? Well, this is how I tried to summarize it. For children, obey as often as possible, Okay? Obey as often as possible. Even if it seems crazy that your parents want to go to lunch with you after church and you want to go to lunch with your friends, then maybe obey your parents as often as possible. I'm talking to some of my students. Sorry. Um, even if this thing seems like you know the better way and you know the right way and how could they want to do it this way, don't they see obey as often as possible? It will go well for you. And this promise that you'll live long in the land doesn't mean that you're going to get to, you know, be 150 in America or that you'll be, if you're a littlest, that you're going to move to Israel or anything like that. That's not what we're talking about. This was a promise made to God's children saying, hey, if you obey your parents who are trying to teach you my ways, then you won't get kicked out of Israel and the land that I promised you because you'll be obedient to the ways that I've given to you. It didn't work out for them. But for us, we can take this greater principle. If you're a child, if you have a parent, obey as often as you can. There's going to be some restrictions on that, especially as you get older, but obey as often as possible. Not only that, but honor always. Honor always. There may be times when you are going to disagree with your families. I'm really grateful. We had, uh, my wife and I, when we were called to come into ministry and, and to go to seminary and then come down here, my parents and her parents have been so supportive of us. But I've talked to so many people who are considering entering into ministry whose parents have had issues. They've been concerned or outright disagreed with them. Listen, that, this statement doesn't mean that you have to not go into ministry because your parents said you shouldn't, but it means you can honor them in that process. You can go to them and communicate and not go to them with a bad attitude and not go to them assuming the worst. Go to them and assume the best. Assume that their concerns are out of a desire to see good for you, a desire to see you do well, that when your parents put some restrictions on you, it's not because they hate you, but it's because they want you to be well. But also remember they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so you have times to call them out of maybe idolizing security. You don't do it like a jerk. You don't do it in a rude way. You do it like you would to a friend or a brother or a sister who's a roommate or a, or a peer. Because there's this weird dynamic between us where they're an authority over us as our parents, but they're also within the family of God, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the other piece is Pray. I got convicted as I was studying and preparing for this how little I pray for my parents. I mean, I pray for them when they ask me to, but on the whole, I, just, I don't really think about praying for their spiritual wellness and well-being. I pray when I see them struggling, but it's just not a regular part of my prayer life. And as a child, to honor and love and obey my parents, what better thing could I do than to seek their wellness by seeking the Spirit of God? 
This whole passage comes on the tail end of Paul talking about what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? And knowing that my words and my obedience won't fix my parents, but the Spirit of God can. It was so convicting for me. And so if you're a child, I'd encourage you, as you walk into this Thanksgiving break, what if you took some time to to think this through? I'm going to try and honor my parents. I'm going to obey whenever possible. And I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to actually commit to praying for them this week and treating them well. So that's what it looks like for children at home. Paul doesn't stop there. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's pretty straightforward, but I have a major question. What about the mothers? Right? Like, hey, Paul, kind of an important deal. What's going on here, right? Well, let's look at it. This is from an intertestamental writing. So between the time of when Malachi got his message from the Lord and wrote his text and what happens in Matthew, there's a period in which people are still writing religious texts, but it's not inspired by God. They're trying to lead the people. And so this is from Sirach, and it says this. He who loves his son will whip him often so that he may rejoice at the way he turns out. An unbroken horse turns out stubborn, and an unchecked son turns out headstrong. Pamper a child, and he will terrorize you. Play with him, and he will grieve you. And I could go on. There's more to this passage, but honestly, it's heartbreaking. And Blake, again, did a great job last week of talking about this is a patriarchal society, and the father is viewed as the the authority, the only one with authority in this home. And so, yes, there's other, even this text talks about disciplining your kids and the need for discipline. This goes to extreme. Don't play with your kid or he will make you sad. Do you see that? The extreme patriarchy that there was going on in this society is what Paul is writing to. Honestly, moms, the reason you're not in here is because you were doing a good job. Paul wrote to you because the fathers were the problem. Okay? Paul wrote this because he had to speak into this system and these issues. And so he says to the fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't do these things that's just going to make your kids hate you. Instead, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, that was Paul's day, but for all day, that applies to all parents. There's still some forms of patriarchy within our society, but it's not total like it was in the Roman days. And so mothers and fathers, this is a similar truth that can apply to both of you, okay? Don't promote your your kids to anger. Don't do it. Instead, seek to actually instruct them and discipline them in the Lord. So what does that look like? For parents, first thing I'd say is invest your presence, this is so important. We get a lot of conversations. Anytime you start a new job, someone wants to talk about your 401k and what you're investing in the future. And you, there's part of me that once a month freaks out about hey, how are my kids going to go to college? <laughs> so you're trying to think like, how am I going to pay for that stuff? And so as a parent, you start thinking that through and how do I provide for my kids? But can I tell you, if you're not investing your presence, none of the rest of that matters. Just ask these kids that are sitting in this room. Ask them what they'd rather have. Parents, invest your presence. It's so, so vital. And here's the deal. That makes your instruction and your discipline so much more effective. Because now, if you're invested and present with your kids, you know who they are. You know what's going on in their hearts. And you know why they did the thing that they did. And so you can speak into that. Yes, you may discipline, but you can also speak truth into what is the real heart problem. 
If you're not present, if you're just the parent, the mom or the dad that's never around and never actually there, you're on your phone, you're watching the game, you're not actually with your kids, you're never going to actually be able to discipline or instruct them in the Lord. You're going to be disciplining and instructing them in yourself. One of the most, this is going to sound crazy, but just roll with me. One of the most heartbreaking things for me is when my kids play together. I know that sounds bad. I love when they play together, but here's what inevitably happens with my five-year-old and a three-year-old. They get mad at each other, and then they start to fight. And the heartbreaking thing is they start yelling at each other the way that I yell at them whenever I get mad. And y'all, like, I realize these kids are watching me, and they are learning so much from me. And so parents... It's so easy for us to fall back on, I'm tired, I had a lot going on, I just need a little bit of a break. Create space for yourself, yes. Work with your spouse to know your own health, but please, please recognize that your kids are being instructed in one of two things, either your sin or in the ways of the Lord. And so the first thing that you can do to be different there is invest your presence by actually knowing them and being involved in whatever they're doing. So for some of you, that may be Legos. For some of you, that may be engineering. I don't know, but be invested with your presence. But also confess your failures. I loved how Blake has modeled this, and I've really tried to do this with my kids, is really stand up and say, I messed up here. I got mad when I shouldn't have. I made a mistake. And the way your kids can respond to that, I'll tell you, will blow you away. I don't know what it is about our culture that makes us, well, I think it's just our natures. I don't think our culture matters. I think our nature is just, we, we get so nervous that people are going to see us fail. And with our kids, we want them to be so healthy and so well that the idea that, that I've messed up, what's that going to do to them? But it's going to do so much more damage if you just act like those mistakes didn't happen or that you were right. Take the moment and confess your failures to your kids. And then finally, pray. I was talking about this uh, between services. This idea that as parents, Paul doesn't call us necessarily to raise godly kids or God doesn't call us to do that. He really calls us to be godly parents, right? What happens with our kids isn't up to us. And that can be really hard because you love your kids more than they could ever imagine. But turn to the Lord in prayer and seek Him and ask that he would be the one that you would rely on and not your words and not your protection and not your abilities because it's just going to fail. It's just going to fail. So parents have to pray. So that's submission at home. Let's look at submission at work. And we got to ask this big question in verse 5. Is Paul or the Bible advocating slavery because it says this bond servants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Now, how many of you have the word slaves there in your Bible? Yeah, probably about half the audience. So here's the deal. When we talk about slavery in America, we've got a lot of problems because we've got a lot of sin in that area. We've got an issue that our country uh, at its foundation was built upon the stealing of people from their homeland and bringing them in for chattel slavery to use them in a corrupt and broken way. And the, one of the other issues, and it's awful, 
is that people would use this verse and this passage as a, as a justification for why they did it. And it's terrible. And we can look back and say, yeah, that wasn't me. Like, those were people in the past, and that's fine. But that is America's history. And if we don't learn from that and confess that, we're going to go nowhere with this passage and nowhere in our faith with our brothers and sisters. So it's important for us to step up and say, when we see slaves and masters, there's a lot of context here for us. And it's not good. It's not good. So we've got to confess that and say, we failed here. Maybe not us specifically, but our country has failed here. And we need to take a moment and own that. But here's the reality, is that this slavery was a little bit different. Now, they still treated their slaves terribly. They, they would treat them as just as property often. They would use them for whatever they wanted. And so we share that in common. But here was the difference. Uh, uh, slavery within the Roman days uh, had various different levels. So a slave could own land. A slave were paid. Uh, there's a legend has it that one of the, uh, the Roman emperors was actually started slavery in Rome by offering to the royals and the nobles that they could sell their kids into slavery as a way to advance their life. It was not seen as, a, as an oppressive place for everyone. It was seen as a place where you could find advancement. And so there was a different perspective on what was happening in slavery, but there were still issues. And so Paul is going to speak into that the same way he spoke into marriage, which wasn't perfect in that day, but he's going to speak into it. The same way he's going to speak into patriarchy in the section before this. Because the Bible is speaking against slavery as a broken institution. But also, God is going to take this moment to talk to people about how to live within that broken institution in that broken way. So, as we think about this, how should we equate this? Because we don't really own people. Well, the reality is that their slaves were all within their household, right? They didn't get up and they didn't go drive to a high-rise, right? They're in Athens or wherever they were. Like, they stayed in their homes, and so all the work happened within the home. And so that was their workplace. And so as we think about this, we're going to think about submission at work. And so when Paul says bondservant, I want us to think workers. Or in some cases, maybe you think student and teachers. Maybe that applies to you. I think there's truths here that matter. And so he says, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. We get some similar language as what we saw with kids. Six through eight. Not by the way of eye service or as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Catch this. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a slave or free. Can I tell you two of the most stressful hours in my life are the two hours before my wife comes home from out of town? Okay? Now, it's not, hold on, I'll explain. It's not because, like, she's not super neat and tidy, but I feel this pressure when she's coming back to make the house neat and tidy, and I don't keep it that way when she's gone, right? Like, it'd be great if I did the dishes once while she was gone. Like, so I'm trying to, like, scrub and do the dishes, and I'm trying to ask, Owen, please help me, Owen, like, take this thing, and the boys are lining up to try and help me out, because I'm so stressed out, because while she's been gone, it's been bad, right? <laughs> It's not clean, but I don't want her to come home and see that it's not clean. I want her to come home and think, oh, look at my husband. He's so great, yada, yada, yada. He's so capable. Not true, right? (laughs) 
So I'm going to do, I'm going to wait till that last minute to do all the cleaning that I can do to make the house look as great as it possibly can so that to the eyes, it looks good. But the reality is, what was going on that week? It wasn't clean. This passage is talking the same thing about our work. Whether you're a student or you're working in a job and in a business where you have bosses, don't just do the thing that looks good at the last minute where you're fooling the people around you. Work as if you are working for the Lord because you are. As a believer, God finds value in us working well and it is good for us and it is good for him. And so Paul is telling us if you are a student and you're studying or if you are working, that this is so important for us to catch on. And not only that, but that God is seeing everything that's happening You may feel like, oh, this person always takes credit for me, or this teacher or this boss doesn't really like me, and so they're not going to do anything for me anyway, so why does it matter? Because your God in heaven sees. Even if your earthly authorities don't see, the God in heaven sees. He does. And so you're called to work well. So, how do we want to frame this conversation? For employees or students, this is what I want to say. Again, obey as often as possible. If you've got a boss who's telling you to disobey the law or disobey the Lord, you don't do that, right? Like this passage doesn't come outside of the rest of Scripture says the same way that we talked about if a wife is in a marriage relationship and the husband is beating her, she leaves. It doesn't mean ultimate submission, and this doesn't mean absolute no questioning obedience. This just means you obey as often as you can. If you think a teacher or if you think your boss isn't doing something the best way, you still obey. Even if you think you know better, you still obey as often as you possibly can. Not only that, you work wholeheartedly. Even if you think it's a bad idea, even if you think you know a better way and they've shot down your better way, you work to the best of your abilities. Why? Because remember, this isn't about you. It's about Christ, and it's a reflection of who he is and what he's done, and he came into a broken world where nobody appreciated him. Even his best buddies were like, nah, dude, we're going to do it a different way. And Christ said, no, I'm going to work and honor and glorify the Father. And finally, again, we're in a church, so we're going to keep using this because it's real. We need to pray, okay? I kind of throw that aside, but the reality is that it's so important and one of the first things we forget about. We get into the workplace and we think it's all about our effort. And we think it's all about what I can do or in school is about all about I can do. And I'm not just saying just pray that you get good grades. I'm talking about your authorities. Pray for your teachers and your bosses. Pray that the Lord would work in their hearts and lives and use your work to do it. So that's employees and students. Let's talk about masters. Masters, do the same to them. I started looking at this text and I was like, God, why? Why do we get so much shorter a list for masters as we do for the bond servants? And then I realized, oh, because you are adding on top of them, right? Like if you're a boss or you're a teacher or you're in a position of authority, the Lord is saying, I'm requiring of you everything I've already asked of the others. I want you to work wholeheartedly. I want you to do your work as unto the Lord who is watching and is seeing. But not only that, stop your threatening. Stop threatening people. Why? 
knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. See, even within the slavery conversation, Paul and the Lord end with this, con- this incredible truth. That when God looks at us, no matter what your socioeconomic status, no matter what your ethnic or ethnicity or race, God sees no partiality. So if you're a boss or you're in a person of authority, God says, don't treat people differently just because you're over them. That's not okay. So how do we move and respond out of reverence for Christ if you're a boss or a teacher or someone in authority? First, you also work wholeheartedly. We talk about that with the other group. You're also called to this. Secondly, you lead from humility. If you recognize that you're no better than those underneath you on the organizational chart or in the classroom, if you realize that you can learn from them, that they are seen as just as equal image bearers of God, then you lead from humility and seek to learn from them and seek to care for them well. And finally, you also pray. And again, that can be one of the first things that goes out the window if you're a person in authority and the people underneath you are frustrating you. The people underneath you keep messing up and you just want to think, how can I fix this person or fix their attitude? And so often as believers, we have to remember that we turn to the Lord because we are walking by the power of the Spirit and not the power of our own words. So this is what this looks like. To submit at home and at work. We have these exhortations from Paul, but again, they all fall under... The umbrella are all fall under the foundation of we are working out of reverence for Christ and what he's done. It doesn't work without that. You guys probably know that or I don't know. If you've ever tried to do like a, a gym thing, we're coming up on the first of the year and you're trying to like start at the gym. Like that's going to work for a while and maybe some of you are more dedicated than I am, but... For me, it's like, here's about six weeks worth of I'm going to be dedicated to this or some days like one week and then or sometimes like one week. And then that's going to fall by the wayside because eventually our self-motivation is going to fail. I don't care how type A you are, at some point, your self-motivation is going to fail you. It's just going to do it. And so we don't interact with people. We don't submit ourselves on the basis of it's going to feel good for us or Jared said to do it. If you base it on just because I said it, that's going to last about a day and a half, right? If you go just because the Bible said it, that's going to last you a good bit longer, uh, but still not that long, right? It's not going to ultimately get you all the way there because you have to see Christ. You have to see that the Bible says this because of who Jesus is and what he's done. You have to see that ultimately the fact that our God would send his son to live a perfect life, he would step into this broken world and he would submit himself, give up all of his rights, all the things that were rightfully his, that he would give up all those things for us. That is the reality that moves us to persevere. That after living a perfect life, that he would take on all the punishments for us, that he would die on the cross, that he would take all of that suffering for us to raise from the dead in victory. That is what pushes us forward to persevere. When it gets hard as a child because your parents 
maybe don't love the Lord, or maybe, and we've not talked about this, but maybe you don't have a healthy family relationship and your parents have done some really hurtful things to you. Or as a parent, maybe your kids have done some incredibly hurtful things to you and you don't have a healthy relationship with them. It is going to be hard and you are not enough. And only the person work of Jesus Christ allows you to have a purpose and a vision and the ability to overcome that. At school and at work, it's going to be hard. There are going to be peers and coworkers and bosses and teachers that just don't like you. And it doesn't matter what you do. And your ability to submit to them is going to fade away if it's not founded on who Jesus is and what he's done. So we're going to do something a little bit different today. I'm going to invite the band back up and we're going to celebrate Jesus Christ. Because more than anything that I've said this morning, the best thing that you could do would be to be thinking about what Jesus has done for you. Yes, take these things that I've said. Yes, use them and apply them into your life. But they only stick if you recognize the one who's changed us. The Jesus who's paid for our sins. And you live your life out of praise for him. Bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this morning and grateful for this truth. That you are the God who loved us enough to step into our lives, to step into our brokenness and bring us victory and bring us peace through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that as we leave this place, that that yes, we'd have better ideas about how to engage with these different people in our worlds, but God, ultimately, that our engagement would be built upon your engagement with us. It would be built upon your son making himself known in this world. Father, by the power of your spirit, may you speak and move. And we ask these things in your son's name and by the power of that spirit. Amen.